Today's show is sponsored by Mack Weldon. These guys make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. I'm wearing them right now. I can attest to that myself. I've been wearing these things for like a year. Not not this individual pair, but I've been wearing Mack Weldon for a year. For more than a year because I used to buy them with my own money. Now they give them to me for free. You should try them out yourself. And when you do, you'll find they're made of naturally antimicrobial fibers that will make you smell great. They are easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off your order. The promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com. Promo code RECODE. By the way, I'm not the only person in this room wearing Mac Weldon socks. My guest is that. Yeah, there's a plug to you ever since I started listening. I've, I, had, I've had a nice suite of these socks on my feet. What's, what's your favorite use case for these socks? Business, of course. Business. They're business they're socks. They're business socks. You can wear them around they, the house. But I wear sneakers, so they, they are, they're just thick enough that they fit my sneakers. These have good heft really to them, thin. don't they? Yeah, they really do. If for some reason you don't like these socks, which is not possible, you can tell Mac Weldon that, and they will send you your money back. You keep the socks. Now you have money and free socks, just like me, Peter Kafka. You get 20% off at MacWeldon.com with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. That is a real company with an awkward name, but they're really good. I'm here with Reza Izad. Speaking of awkward names, did I get it correct? You did. Your company's name is now Studio 71. That's right. I'm going to guess that even some of the most ardent Recode Media listeners have not heard of Studio 71. So let's describe who you work with, first of all. Sure. Um, in the old days, I would have said you're a, you work with YouTube stars, like? Correct. Like Lily Singh, Roman Atwood, uh, Rhett and Link, and a number of others. If you are a young person, or you if you know a are. young people, you know who these people yeah, are, do. and they work with you, they work for you, you help distribute their videos. So I'll, I, I'll give you the, the, you want the narrative I, on how yeah, we got Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Okay. I just want to set the That's stage. That's correct. We definitely help enable them to monetize and, and sort of grow their offering, whether it's with advertisers, merchandising, and obviously IP has been a big part of our and creating sort of intellectual know, property. Intellectual property has been a big part of our business. When I first met you, you ran a company called Collective. Correct. Gone through a couple different iterations now, and and I think at one point we would have called you a MCN, a multi-channel network. That would have been part of your business, but you've expanded beyond that. You're not just YouTube, so we can really sort of talk about the evolution of video because it's kind of the evolution of your business, yeah. right? Yeah. Good. Okay. Done. Perfect. Now we can begin at the beginning. All right. When I first met you, I think you're still in the talent. Uh, very much so. Business, right? You were yeah, still, very much so. Um, it was, there was a company called Collective, and you guys were managing bands? Yeah, so, so the, the, the company started, we were managing a bunch of film and TV, comedians, and obviously a bunch of musicians, like Linkin Park. Linkin Park was the big one. Big one. Enrique Iglesias was another one. We worked for Kanye West for a while. I like that you say worked for. We definitely work for. When Not work with. When, you, when you're a manager, you definitely work for, and obviously alongside your clients. Do you so. want to tell me a good Kanye story? Oh. <sighs> You there's do, a, don't you? A, I do, but I probably shouldn't. Tell me, tell me a medium <laughs> Kanye story that you can get away with. Uh, I don't know if I have. Since one you're I no longer do. in the Kanye business, or getting back into I, it, I, it would be such a breach because they're pretty inside baseball. So, but, but, so you, but all the things that you guys witness on the public stage, the references to Steve Jobs and all that, are definitely uh, a part of what we, you you experience as working with them on a day to day basis. So this is great because on the one hand, you get to work with the biggest stars in the world. Correct. Um, it's also demanding, right? Because it's service business and you are servicing them. Correct. And, and running around and well, taking care of their needs. He, here was the one difference between us, I think, then and our orientation. So our founder was a guy named Michael Green, who started a company called The Firm, yep. which was a very, very large management company in the, in the 90s and early 2000s. 
And I think the thesis of the whole company and sort of the, how we ended up in, even in digital video was that we believe that disintermediation, the idea that a, that a talented individual could go direct to consumer, was going to allow um, people like us who built the right infrastructure to sort of step in alongside them and partner with them on their content and other offerings that they may right. have. Right. This is one of the ideas that people have been talking about. Censor the internet Correct. showed up that stars could eventually create their own businesses and they wouldn't have to go through a record label or a TV network or wherever. And this was a thesis for a long time. It wasn't actually true. Well, Now it, we're kind of getting there. We're definitely getting there. And the thesis may not be true in the recorded music business, particularly for the large acts. Because the majors provide a sense of the biggest value of them all, which is cash. They right, even Justin Bieber, who came up through YouTube, correct, right, is on a major label. Absolutely. So it's cash and radio. Those are the two power points that they still hold, and they are immensely powerful. Um, so we built this entire marketing apparatus with the, with the thinking that we were going to, over time, as they came out of their deals, we would actually partner with these artists. And we actually early on had some great success in stand-up comedy with a with a comedian named Cat Williams. Sure, um, we we knew that he had a, a another good difficult social personality. Following, another very difficult personality. We knew he had a really strong social following, and this was this was the days of MySpace, yep. and we knew he had a, a had it kind of going on in the hood, if you will. And we knew that there was an appetite for his stand-up, so we financed the first comedy special of his called Pimp Chronicles, and we we licensed it to HBO. And we released it in home video, and we did all the marketing ourselves. All the, And this was early days of YouTube. We were putting clips on YouTube. We were giving, obviously, clips out on MySpace. And that was sort of the beginning, That that the success of that. We sold 3 million DVDs over the course of a... Three, and that's you guys selling it instead of a label. Instead or of a label. So a lot of the, those economics stayed with us and with Cat right. Williams. So now you're not in that business. So why did you move out of that business? Well, that seems like well a pretty obviously, good the idea. DVD business got highly impacted sure. by streaming. So everything physical has gone digital. And the way we sort of evolved out of that business was um, a manager had signed a, a kid named Lucas Cruikshank. He created the character Fred on YouTube. So at the time, it was the number one channel on YouTube. And I remember the first day looking at it going, this is really awkward content. And somebody said, just check out how big he is relative to Universal This is music. one of those things where – maybe we should even play a clip of Fred here. We'll leave a pause here so we can, if, play, yeah. we can play Fred here. Because um, if you hadn't heard of him or seen him, you'd think this is not a thing. Absolutely. Here, we'll, we'll take a pause right here. This is what Fred sounded like. Hey, it's Fred! I gotta go to the movies! My mom dropped me off and she thinks I'm gonna go see furry little animals. But I'm actually gonna see Nightmare on Sesame Street! Hey, um, can I have one ticket for Nightmare on Sesame Street? Um, do you have to be 17 to see that movie? Oh. Hey, sir, can you please buy me a ticket for a rated R movie? I heard it's really bloody. <laughs> What's in it for me? Well, I have a single mom and she's desperate. She'll go on a date with you for sure. I need one ticket for Nightmare on Sesame Street, please. All right, so that's not for everybody, and specifically not for us, right? It was for, who was Fred's audience? It was young kids. And so we kind of, you know, we started- like 12, younger? It was the Nickelodeon audience, because yeah. that's ultimately where we distributed the movie and to great success. And so what, what started with, we did a Christmas record. Somebody said he speaks in a high-pitched voice, and somebody else said, well, the Chipmunks sold a lot of records. We were real, you know, creative guys at that time. <laughs> so we decided to record a four-song EP. We did music videos, real simple music videos, YouTube to iTunes. And this is 2008. This is real early. And we sold about 100,000 copies really quick. And all these light bulbs went off in our heads. So YouTube's a thing. People know what it yep. is. Google has spent a billion and a half dollars on it. But everyone's still sort of looking at it and going, what, what do we do with it? Correct. Uh, lazy scent. Do we take stuff from SNL and put it on there? All the stuff that's native to YouTube is really weird. 
And you guys say, no, no, that's, that's good. We want to get in on that. We, we saw some opportunity there. So, and what was interesting about Lucas, if there was one thing to give him real credit for, that beyond just sort of the impetus of starting the character, that character was really well developed. If you could actually sit through it all, <laughs> he developed an entire universe of the girl next door who was in love with him, the bully across the street who was bullying him every time he was trying to get to the girl, the mother who was a little sort of out there, the father who was in jail. So that was that was the sort of. The I'm just going to nod framework. like I'm familiar with this, but I'm not. I actually I want to fast forward for a yeah. second. Where it's we're ten, nearly ten years later from when yes. Lucas Cruikshank slash Fred was a big deal. Where is he now? Um, he's still on YouTube working. Yeah, he's still working doing it? quite well. Yeah, he has his own channel. Um, he lives in Nebraska and is doing quite well actually with his with his community because YouTube's a decade old, right? Yeah. And so there's now there's now a generation, maybe multiple generations, that had a big following on YouTube and have been supplanted. I, su- I assume at this point. So there's definitely an arc to all of this stuff. So so the the narrative of Lucas was he did the character on YouTube. It was wildly successful. He then did three movies for Nickelodeon. Uh, I think in 2010 that was the highest rated movie of the year in all of cable TV. He also did 25 half hours of TV on in that character, and he decided he didn't want to be that earnest, you know, he didn't want to be that that sort of that character anymore. So he played another character, he did another show for Nick, and that didn't pan out quite as well as anticipated. And now he's back on YouTube doing his thing. He's vlogging. He's so actually doing the, quite well. We can tie, we can pull it back yeah. in a minute. But this is one of the ideas that are, that's really interesting to me is can one, I mean, what's the half-life of a YouTube or a digital video star? Is it the same as anyone else from any other medium or I would assume it goes faster. And then the other related question is, can their audiences move? Like we've seen people try to go from YouTube to TV. It seems right. like probably if you're watching stuff on YouTube, you're not going to move to TV and watch it, but maybe, maybe sometimes it does work. Well, look, uh, the, the Fred stuff really worked. Yeah. It was a huge rating success. And those, for, you for think him. those were his fans watching it or the people uh, who absolutely. were exposed for the first time? A hundred percent. It was his fans. And by the way, you can see it now on Netflix. It's, it's done quite well in that environment as well. And so it's had a really strong shelf life because of two things. One, he created a really strong character that I think a lot of people related to. And two, we partnered with Brian Robbins and we re- made a real project. It wasn't a, it wasn't a half-baked idea that we were going to take to TV. So YouTube to TV doesn't work. But a lot of these personalities w- developed the right way definitely can work. What do you mean that YouTube mean, TV doesn't work but just personalities trying to, Just do. trying to replicate the formats that you see online, that's that's not going to work for the medium of TV. I think you got to give it another extra right. Uh, polish, if you will, and a, and a different set of creative sensibilities because it's a different medium. But but I mean, YouTube is very different than TV. It's very. Usually, it's even though YouTube has tried to get its creators to sort of fancy up their stuff and be more mm-hmm. uh, ambitious, it's still. If you look at it, it's still a lot of people looking straight on the camera. Yeah. Um, just like they were in their mom's basement or in front of their laptop or, or wherever it is, yep. and that seems to be the format that people respond to. Um, and it's it's sort of that same question people had about Saturday Night Live sketches. Almost none of them transferred to movies, right? Popular characters yeah. on SNL couldn't become movie or didn't become movie stars, or at least those characters didn't work in movies because that was something that worked in a three minute format, not ninety minutes. Um, so it seems like there's something about the intimacy 
a web video, a YouTube video that, that works there, and you can't port it to TV. I, I, I disagree. With, like, take and it's SNL, your job, right? so I, so I, but no, I, but I, take I agree SNL, with you. right? You have Wayne's World was a massive success. Yeah, but it was an outlier. There it, were, most it, of them but, weren't. But by the way, most successes in entertainment are outliers. Fair right? enough. Star Wars is an outlier. Friends is an outlier. Most TV, I think 70% cancel rates You know, on the first season. So... So everything in, that's successful in entertainment's an outlier. So yeah. I think the first thing everybody in broadcast or other mediums needs to look at when they're evaluating a YouTube star is can they translate appropriately into that into that medium? So first of all, the first question you'd act is can they act? For instance, can they take on a, a character? So when you look at another character that I think is doing quite well on Netflix, the Miranda Singh haters back off show that's a fully formed fully developed character on youtube it it, it's coming directly at you if you will looking front you know you know in a vlog type format but it's completely evolved when it goes on to netflix it's much more like a tv show it's fully produced if you will and i have the same question about related question if you go to vidcon which is is the youtube stars big absolutely giant conventions and also if you have any interest in this as a business you also go there because See you, everyone else who matters in this business in a day. It's super efficient. It's really striking because the the kids there, 13, 14-year-old girls, uh, sort of shaking and vibrating like they're seeing the Beatles or Name yeah. Your Star. But they also have a lot of access to them, and, and they're, they're in awe of them, but they also can literally reach out and touch them yeah. and interact with them. When they go from YouTube to Netflix, then they go from YouTube to t- TV – can they keep that connection or is that something that only works when they're sort of only digital? Well, let me flip it. So, so look, proximity, right? The physical proximity only happens in meetups and sure. at locations like, like VidCon. But the, but the interactive relationship between star and audience, there's a ton of talent that do it really well that are not uh, – that are more mainstream. Like you take The Rock. He's built a very vibrant social following. He's very interactive with his fan base. And so, so I think it works both ways. So as the 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 Rhett and Links of the vault world evolve, or the Lily Sings of the world evolve, if they give up what their strength is, which is their ability to reach and activate that audience, that's just going to be a miss in their careers going forward. Which I doubt they would do because they get so much, you know, they get a lot of positive feedback off of that. Speaking of positive feedback, yes. we are going to hear from one of our fine sponsors right now. Stay put, don't leave, do not fast forward. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by HostGator. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? I hope you are, because if you're a first-time blogger or if you're an experienced pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. And if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator can offer cloud, VPS, dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners get 60% off. That's 60 you go to hostgator.com slash recode. That's hostgator, spelled like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R dot com slash recode. And we're back. Thank you for listening. Thanks for buying. Thanks for clicking. Rezo, you, you want to get to other parts of your business, but I want to get to... Please. I want to get to the background. Okay. I want to do both. So like I said, when I met you, you were transitioning from this management business yep. to a YouTube own a bunch of IP business. Correct. So why did you... And so, to be clear, did you think we're just done with traditional stars? We're done with traditional music stars? We're done with the Cat Williams of the world? We're just moving to an entirely different way of entertaining people? Or you thought there was just more opportunity 
in a field where not many people were there. Well, it was both, right? Consciously, we wanted to, if you think about the back to the thesis of the company, direct to consumer ability to sort of disintermediate the the, the other distributors, the traditional distribution ecosystem. Um, that thesis was fully borne out with Fred, the annoying orange, you know, video game high school, a lot of sort of the seminal things. And, and what I don't think you can do is I don't think you can run two businesses that are actually starting to really diverge from one another really successfully. So my partners and I, you know, sort of made a very conscious decision that over a period of a couple of years, we were going to get out of the management business completely. You were going to get into the YouTube business. And we were going to, we were going to invest ourselves completely into the digital video business of which YouTube is right. by far and away the largest part of it. And at the time, that was all there was. Correct. That's I mean, exactly people would right. try to make a competitor to YouTube and they, I think none of them owned, exist. We, we owned a very failed competitor many, many years ago called MetaCafe. Yeah, so you I bought, you bought hard, those guys. I know how hard that is. Yes. And I remember there was a period where like they were they were a serious competitor Very to YouTube, so. or at least yeah. in that second tier. And uh, we could talk about the other competitors that exist to, to YouTube now. But just to fast forward, you eventually sold this company to ProSieben. That's correct. Which is a giant German conglomerate. Yep. Why? Um, well, we took on capital from them first. And then what was interesting was they had started a company actually called Studio 71, which was which was very similar to ours. They had they didn't have the long tail of influencers. So the big difference between us and a lot of our competitors is we don't have tens of thousands of channels. We actually have about twelve hundred globally, of which three hundred of them are TV shows. Um, and so when we looked at what ProSieben was doing in Germany, it was very very simpatico to what we wanted to do. And given the fact that just the nature of YouTube is is global distribution, literally on the first upload. We knew we needed to globalize the business in order to drive things like RPMs, which is revenue per thousand views, up. Um, and our thought was, let's grow Europe, which is in, in the YouTube world relatively weaker for that. Right, this is one of the challenges for everyone who's in Correct. YouTube is that it's still difficult and has been for a long time. Difficult to make money there. Even when you uh, rack up millions of views, you don't get that much money for them. Um, and then the farther sort of you get out of the US, the less money you get for each one of those. That's views, correct. Basically. Yeah. So anyone who complains about not making a lot of money on YouTube, but doing billions of views needs to look at where those views originate. Because if they originate in Brazil or other parts of the world, it's just really tough to make money there. And, and Europe was relatively depressed from our perspective and the idea to, to partner with a major media company there to start lifting yep. up our CPMs because not only are they the number one broadcaster in the market, I think they control north of 30% of all video ad budgets. So they have a profound influence in terms of ad sales in their marketplace. And remind me, this you sold before or after Maker sold to we Disney? We sold about a six months after Maker. Because there was this period where everyone was very excited in That's companies that own YouTube networks. Then they were not excited. Then YouTube, uh, then Maker sold to Disney for half a billion dollars. People thought it might be a billion. Turned out to be less. Uh, and then there was another wave of interest in, in buying correct. assets. Yeah. You, were, you were part of that we wave. We were part of that wave. Part of that wave. And then I think, again, people have kind of turned on that, that model. I'm assuming you've evolved from that as well. Well, look, um, we've turned from what model? Like, like they, people are just less excited than about owning a giant conglomeration of, of YouTube networks. I think that's a very tough business, right? Yeah. So if you're just operating just a YouTube scale network, I think that's a very, very tough business to be in because the margin profile is really low. Right, so our business essentially, but that the cornerstone of our business is our talent relationships and our creator network. Um, out of that, we've built a very strong business in creating intellectual property, 
in in doing branded content and working with advertisers in a myriad of sort of interesting ways and building out merchandising and licensing. So take Lily Singh, yep. big giant yep. YouTube and other video star. Yep. You work with her. Sort of what part of the Lily Singh business do you own? What part does she own? How does that, that pie get split So, up? So we prim- primarily, in the case of Lily Singh, own her advertising business and her partner with her on her advertising business. So when you see her endorsing Coca-Cola in Canada, she has a relationship with TD Bank. Those are, those are deals that we're So you're working like on. almost a traditional agent would have at that point. I, I, I guess that's a one way to work it. But we also re- manage the creative. There's a lot of media that runs. I mean, there's a whole a whole uh-huh. host of activations that come along it. So it's very much a, a packaged media product. And um, then are but you, Lily's very much at the center of making right. that that world sort of spin around. And then what, and then if she's debating, do I get a TV show? Do I make a Netflix show? Are you participating in that, or does she work with in other that, people for in that? In that case, everybody has a slightly different deal. So so that in in the case of Lily. I don't think we're involved in her TV stuff. I don't know. She's doing some small casting stuff at the moment. But if that were to go, I don't I don't know that we'll be involved in that. And so you have different deals with different talent. We have talent, tons of different, different deals ways. with talent. How has your business changed since you sold? You said about a year and a half ago. Uh, it's grown quite significantly in terms of revenue. Um, and like one of the most interesting things, like just on YouTube scale, which is an odd thing to talk about when you're when you're saying the margins don't work. We, we've added about 3 billion monthly views and no channels. So last we started last year with 1,200 channels. We ended the year with like 1,205, and and essentially doubled our. You're making our, the same amount of stuff. You're getting more people watching. We're, it. we're making and more people are watching. We've obviously switched out some of our partnerships, um, but we've had a really good run at keeping a very tight knit thing, which has driven a lot of our our growth. So ProSieben's a big German TV correct uh, business. Um, what do they want from you? Do they want to? find stuff that they can turn into TV? Do they want to make money from internet video? So yeah, here's, it's, it's really interesting. So why, so the, going back to the original question, why'd you merge? Their model was singularly unique in the marketplace. So they were taking their top tier TV shows, The Voice of Germany or, or, or Germany's Next Top Model formats that we may know here. They were cutting them up into clips, not unlike NBC does with you know the Fallon and stuff like that, putting it on YouTube and selling an advertising package that was the voice plus guys like LaFloyd or Gronk, who are the top YouTubers in the marketplace. I'm going to nod like a, yeah, a, a yeah. Gronk. LaFloyd you know, interviewed Angela Merkel, for instance, okay. as, a, as an example. And that becomes a really premium ad product. So it's, it's TV that you can't buy anywhere else married with the top-tier influencers. And so that's a very robust sort of monetization product. And, and again, I think unique in the marketplace, which is why recently we brought on a number of other European broadcasters because our goal is to continue to replicate that model with, again, premium TV content married with the best of the internet. And where do they make the mo- – like what, what is the idea to make that consumption happen on television or do they now no longer care where that happens? Well, look, ratings still make the world turn. So, so no one, we're not in the business and we're not putting complete shows up. So let's be also clear about that. We're putting up clips. So we're still in the short form business, but we're pulling short form from TV. So what we're not doing is the big drama. That's not anything we're messing around with. It's the news shows. It's the comedy sketch shows. And is the idea, let's put that stuff on the internet where we can eventually get an audience and drive that back to TV? Or do you say, no, no, that doesn't happen. We want to make money from the audience we find on the internet. Here's what I would tell you. I think it becomes both, right? So I think what everybody's fighting for in a world of infinite content is relevance. And it's really, really hard to attain relevance if you're not on platforms where consumers are. 
And so like the reality is about the voice in Germany, right? If they don't put those clips on, guess what? There's a thousand other clips that somebody else is putting on or there's another clip of a singer doing something on YouTube. So you're not going to get that audience unless you're actually reaching them where they're consuming. And so this, what this does when you look at TV ratings and you see like a s- small sort of slippage in 18 to 34, actually maybe a profound slippage in that core part of the advertising demographic. Yes, I think it's pretty profound online, now. The, the way to do it is you bundle all of the places where your brands are, are being activated and being engaged. So in the case of The Voice, it's happening on TV. It's happening on catch-up services. It's also really happening online in YouTube and Facebook. And if you can capture that holistic ad environment across all of those, it's a really unique proposition. I mean, do you think I – mean, we were just talking about before we went on the air how uh, the Times now has done a thing where they compile all of the clips of last yep. night's Fallon and Kimmel and all those guys. And you can watch all those clips there. And I think there's still a debate about – does Jimmy Kimmel benefit because eventually I'll watch his actual show on television? It seems hard to imagine that if I'm watching on the internet, I'm going to move to TV right. and that they should just try to accept that the audience is there yeah. on the internet. Is that, do you think it's now conventional wisdom? I think it's, again, it goes back to being relevant, right? So it's hard to be relevant if you aren't where popular culture is being consumed, right? So part of it's being happening on TV, part of it's happening in the press, and yeah. part of it's now happening in a big way in digital video online. And so... That's that's the game. In terms of revenue, like in like this is the interesting part. Um, by no means are we replacing the TV income that's coming off of TV, but but where we are today, it's three to five percent of the revenue of the TV shows is coming on the social video piece. So you think about a marketplace where there's ad decline or theoretical or potential ad decline, three to five percent suddenly is how you make your year. Um, and when you look at the volumes of So you may a, not make up because people are talking about double-digit declines, but you can certainly claw back a bunch can, of we it. We can definitely start to claw back. Plus, there's the catch-up service. That's the other play, place where there's ability to sort of claw back some more of that. So it's not a one-to-one, you know, there's, there's more windows, if you will. Than, so, than just the TV window. We've spent almost this entire conversation talking about internet video and YouTube as yep. being one and the same. And that used to be the case up until yep. recently. Now there's Facebook. In fact, what's the conversation now about, about internet videos, about Facebook, weirdly? Like there's YouTube is sort of like an old story. Yep. Still, I think by far where most of the money, almost all of the money is, is today. We can talk about that. Can we go through sort of what various platforms offer you and the talent you work with? Right. So we, YouTube still is the biggest yep. It's where I think most of the ad dollars are. Uh, from It depends. So in branded content, what brands are looking for in terms of a narrative is the ability to tell a story across a lot of these Branded platforms. content's what we used to call an ad. It might be what you used to call it. I guess it's an ad organically delivered, right? So when you when you it's integrate- It's a thing I wish to watch. Sure. It's a thing you wish to watch. But for instance, if you integrate into Retinlink, which are, who are really good at, at creating branded content pieces, you buy a segment. It's usually on a Thursday. It's a few minutes in their show. And that's guaranteed distribution. You're not paying for people to engage with it. That's a hundred percent guaranteed that you know several million people will engage with it over a, a very quick period. Rhett and Link is again a big YouTube. Big, they have a duo. show called Good Mythical Morning. That's like the Today Show of the internet. And it's they've been great. around for a while. They've been doing it for a power. long time. Yeah. And so if, if I buy branded content on Rhett and Link yep. on Pepsi, where are people going to watch that on YouTube, so on Facebook? They'll watch it on YouTube. There'll be a clip in Facebook for sure. There'll be some Instagram integrations and Snapchat. That tends to be the the holistic package that most people are looking to buy. 
And obviously some talent, like Lily's incredibly strong on YouTube, but also on Instagram. You tend to go where the audience of that talent is um, in terms of packaging it. So branded content goes across all these platforms. The reality, though, is on a media basis today, it's still only YouTube that's driving premium media dollars to our way. People buying ads. People buying ads and our ability to sell those ads, that's only happening in that environment because the rest of the ecosystems, frankly, don't really pay for the content that's on the are on those platforms. Now, Facebook, it's in part, right, because they're literally, like in Facebook's case, there's almost no way to buy ads that run on this stuff. That's going to start changing. They're going to start doing these mid-roll ads. Yeah. How quickly do you think that scales up to something where it becomes relevant to you and people you work with? Well, on Facebook, we do several billion v- video starts a, a month, so it's it's pretty big. Um, I, I think it's it's a question of, I mean, think about it. There's a ton of deals they have to make. Then there's a ton of accounting and infrastructure. and all, Think about all the things that, that YouTube currently does that we take for granted. I think there's a lot of work they need to do in terms of building out all the teams and infrastructure, which I think they've quietly been doing in the background and been testing products. Um, so I would assume in the next year or two, they become a real viable force in, yeah. the, uh, in the monetization of online video content. The question is, when and how, what is it, how fast does it accelerate? When, when, I, when I want to watch Rhett and Link or Lily Singh on YouTube, I go to YouTube, Correct. I search for them, I know where to find them. Do you think Facebook has to sort of create that mechanism as well, or will they, because they've got the feed, will they bring it to me? Well, I think there's a, that, that's one's a lean forward you're going and getting, and you're a fan of. I think today Facebook is still a very much a lean back. When I think about the videos I yep. really watch, I tend to watch much more current news things on Facebook or the the funny thing everybody's sharing at the moment or Here's maybe a chicken the, wearing an outfit. Right. Or the or the video of my cousin doing a dunk that's only in my family that we're sharing it. So those are the things I currently watch. I think there is they built this video tab in the app now and I think that'll be a place where they start to try to figure out how to really develop audience where you're coming back over and over for the same thing. And then what do you think about Snapchat, which is currently a thing everyone's obsessed with? Um, their ad business, their model right now is based on sort of selling TV-like ads. But I think the most of the usage is, is people talking to each other. It's a chat app, really. I mean, Correct. the media business is very interested in it, but yep. I think most of the users are communicating with each other and then maybe they watch a video. So does that become a pl- uh, do you think that changes and that becomes a real place for you guys? Well, we we have some talent there that have really big like so Sean Duras has a lot of scale in that platform. So his open rates are comparable to a store an MTV story in the in the uh, in the Discover section. So his fans seeking him it, out. Yeah, there. his fans seeking him out. So he's having a one to many conversation at scale. So are, so are, so are a number of of these folks. And so that's that's what the product we end up selling. Um, Snapchat has, for whatever reason, not embraced its creator community in the way Facebook is starting to with, and, and YouTube has. Um, they've very much had a very specific vision for what they're doing, and it's very Cosmo and you know, Warner Music. They're going to old media, generally old established media. brands, yeah. saying, work with us, we'll do deals Correct. with you, we'll control the, the ad inventory, um, we'll sell it, yep. most likely. So, so w- there there isn't a, a place yet for us to play with them in their discover in their discover you know section of the. And thing. is there a mystery uh, video app that, that that I haven't heard of that that's on your radar? 
or an up and coming. You know, I mean, here's what's interesting. There's so many live streaming apps that we're seeing yep. um, that are that that are doing interesting things, mostly out of Asia. Um, that that are kind of interesting. Obviously, everyone knows about Musically and Live.me are doing you know similar similar type stuff that's kind of compelling but nothing that i've seen that's really hitting like critical mass um but but a lot of a lot of interesting and we've seen twitter obviously with periscope facebook pushed facebook live last year it seems like the bigger platform youtube just announced a new live thing it seems like the big platforms have all tried live and gotten in and out of it and it doesn't really catch on here's what's interesting about live you have to really produce live so uh, we'll go back to you know the, the tasty folks, right? They didn't they wrap a, a water belt a watermelon Buzzfeed, with yeah. Buzzfeed did a, yeah. a water a watermelon with a thousand rubber bands, and that drove some interesting stuff. We we did a test with Roman Atwood on on Live Me. He got a monster truck. He put it in his backyard in Ohio, and he literally smashed a car with it. I right? watched that, and it was literally shot on a phone. I mean, like, I was. We had one of our employees out there shooting this thing on a on a on an iPhone, and and it did quite well. I mean, it had hundreds of thousands of people on that stream. Um, but, but that. But well, here's the but. The but is you have to think about producing like at that scale something really unique, yeah. one time only can be seen here kind of thing. That's what makes live work. That's live. what I think about that YouTube stream where they, the, they had the astronaut pushed out of a Red Bull yeah. satellite. Well, yeah, that's I mean, perfect the parachute for yeah. yeah, but you can really only do that once. That's correct. Just like Roman could only you know destroy something in his backyard once um, and have it have that impact on an audience. So live works for some people for some things, but you don't think it's going to be sort of a consistent part of uh, a media diet? Look. There's always going to be somebody who comes up with the format that right. really works, like the outliers that make the world sort of turn around in the entertainment business. I We haven't seen it yet. What we've seen is things that are singularly unique, um, highly more highly produced, even though I know we said we were shooting it with a phone. We still have to get a truck and yeah. a, at a backyard big enough to hold it and a driver and all that stuff. We have to produce the thing. Those are the things that'll work in live, and it has to really relate to the audience that you're trying that you're in, you know very organically reaching out to. We talked about the your past. Yep. Of internet video. We're talking about the present. What's the future look like? That's a good question. I mean, for us, the future is: can we bring in other broadcast partners to replicate the model we're doing in Germany and do it on a global scale? And that's what we've been. That's what we've been focusing on over the and, and hopefully over the next. Couple can you years find now. big television networks who want to give you some of their stuff? Yep. Allow you to distribute it and yep. then f- go back the other way and and package and sell. Yeah, and go the other way. That's exactly right. And we, I think we can give them a very quick tutorial on how to do it, get them up to speed. We, we, we know the product very, very well. We know how to build scale in the product really well. And we think that's a really unique advertising product in, it, in, it, in, in terms of how a broadcaster can still keep that connection with the part of the audience that's consuming all their brands, right, that they've spent millions of dollars building, but, but are no longer consuming on the platforms that they own. Who's the next hot, up-and-coming digital video star? Who's the next Lily Singh? If I want to go home and, and tell my kids That's about a good someone question. I should be checking out. Well, I can't tell them that because they, they won't want to watch it. Who should I feign interest in? So we have a channel called Guava Juice that's doing it's – a, it's a young guy. It's gamer. Um, he comes out of a, a, of a partnership with – he had a channel called Wasabi, and he sort of broke off – from the guys, and it's it's doing it's doing real real interesting business. It's doing about 150 million views a month. 
Is the new, that's a new PewDiePie. It, it, it's different. It's a little. It's a little different because it's a little more out there. But it's actually quite interesting. There's, there's nothing less compelling than two middle-aged guys talking about what what the Probably. next PewDiePie Here, is. Here's all I know. I took. I, we did a toy box. Uh, we've done a subscription box with him, and I t- I took the the toy box into my daughter's class. She asked me to bring two in for her friends. And it was on one hand a huge mistake because everyone in the class wanted one, but it was a really awesome to see the reaction of a bunch of you know fourth and fifth graders freaking out over 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 sort of guava juice. Guava juice. All I right. think that's a that's a real solid if one. If you can remember one thing from this podcast, remember yeah. guava juice. Reza, thanks for Thank your you time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Thanks to you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If for some reason you have not heard the Jay Rosen Kellyanne Conway interview, you should go listen to that pretty relevant it'll be relevant for another one to three four maybe eight years for this um there's lots of other good stuff you can go find all of that at your favorite podcasting platform npr1 is working with us now so you can go listen to us on the npr1 app kara swisher has stuff lauren good has stuff i'd like to thank our awesome sponsors mac weldon and hostgator and thank you to digital media who sells all of those advertisements so we can bring you this free content thanks for listening see you next week